0: Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel. I'm back again with a special guest, Casey Mushrush. He joined us a few weeks ago. He's our local on-staff legal here at Premier. And today we mentioned in the last video that we were going to go ahead and talk about some gifting strategies. And ironically, Casey, I got an email from a uh, foundation that we work with that sent out an email and said, you know, there's still time to leave a good gift mm-hmm. for the holidays. So today's show is going to be strictly about gifting. Um, and I'm going to let Casey run with most of this. I'm going to guide it kind of where I want to go. But I, I know personally, this is the time of year I start to get calls. In fact, I had a call last week from a client who said, hey – I run or I, he's the president of a of a charitable organization here and somebody wanted to gift stock different company wanted to know how to do it so all the questions are like hey how do I do the gifting right now and they're going to get really big after the first year again after mm-hmm. people figure out how much their RMDs are so that's what today's show's about I hope everybody takes away one way to gift and maybe we'll kind of debunk some of the myths people have you know Casey I'm gonna have you talk about this at some point but I think you'd agree most people think they're limited to just their annual gift total for the year, Yep. which it doesn't really work that way. So let me kick this off. Other than cash, I have five types of different gifting strategies you can utilize, and I'm gonna let you run with this first one. What's an IRA rollover gift?
1: Yeah, so an IRA rollover gift, um, another way of terming this, uh, qualified charitable distribution. Uh, Now, just a little brief legislative history on this. They used to renew this every single year. (laughs) <laughs> and usually, it'd be about December twenty sixth, December twenty seventh, before we'd see legislation that would actually allow this for, to go the for, the for the following for the following year for the no for that year. So we had a period of time um, about five years or so where we knew that this was a thing and it would probably go through, but we didn't know whether or not people would actually be able to do it. Right up until the very end of the uh, end of the year. Now. Fortunately, with a couple of these different, you know, secure retirement packages and all that thing, gone through, that is now a permanent part in the code. Where that is now in there, we don't have to worry about, you know, these taxenders and these extenders and all these kinds of things over toward the end of the year to make these, uh, uh, you know, make these qualified. But uh, essentially, what a qualified charitable, uh, what the qualified charitable gift or the rollover gift, take money from your IRA, qualified charitable distribution, and send it directly to a charity. Now, this is great from a tax standpoint. Okay. When you take money out of your IRA, everybody knows you have required minimum distributions beginning when you hit age uh, 73, some people in the future when they hit age 75. But if you're 73 and above right now for a qualified or for a traditional IRA, you can take that money out that you have to take out, send it over to a charity, and then you don't get taxed on it. So you don't receive the actual funds themselves or what the benefit of this is because you never put the money in your pocket. It goes directly over to that entity or over to that uh, over to that charity. Now, one thing, which is kind of interesting just as far as a little bit of a quirk over in the, uh, over the law. It's not only just the RMD amounts, though. So I said 73 because we're talking about RMDs and its way that if you pull, have to pull money out, it can be a tax-efficient method of sending some money. The age is actually 70 and a half. So if you go back to where the required minimum distribution rules actually work, simple IRAs, SEP IRAs are still at 70 and a half. Only traditional IRAs got bumped back to 73. So even if you have a retirement plan, like a SEP IRA or a simple IRA, that you have to take money out for those required minimum distributions at age 70 and a half, not at age 73, you can still utilize this strategy to more efficiently do some gifting or more efficiently get more money over to that that charity. So. so
0: there's no way what is there an age limit though do as far know, as a
1: max limit or an
0: under limit? a minimum
1: a minimum yes 70 and a half so it hasn't kept up with the tax code
0: correct. I think that's important to know because you know it's you're still going to get a deduction if you do this you could do this at 67 it just doesn't fall under this law right so they could still send it and they get a tax deduction for what they sent
1: yes but correct. if
0: they're not itemizing, utilizing the standard deduction today, which most yep. people are, they're getting less of a benefit. They're still getting a benefit; it's just less. Right?
1: You know, it's and it's interesting you say that. I think we've talked about this before in the past. I mean, right now with where the uh, with where the uh, uh, the standard deductions are, it's like ninety to ninety four percent of taxpayers are taking the standard deduction and not itemizing. The vast, vast majority of people. So, if you have RMDs, that you have to take. This can be a, a way to—and again, I think it pairs very well if you've got somebody who's already doing that gift of charity. You know, if I've got a monthly pledge that I'm doing over to the church, or I've got a monthly pledge going to that 501c3 that I'm sending them money out, we can switch it over and send money out of the IRA account— and then you don't get taxed on that and then you still get to use the full amount of that of that standardized deduction. Um, now one thing on that too, it doesn't have to be the full amount of the RMD. Okay, there are some limits as far as the amounts that you can do. You can do up to $100,000 a year. Okay? So up to $100,000 can go into that qualified charitable distribution strategy. But you can also do less. So let's say for example, uh, you've got a required minimum distribution of $5,000 and you're planning on giving $2,500 to charity. Well, you can send the 2500 from the IRA and then take the other half, put that in your pocket. You get taxed on the 2500 that you could put in your pocket. And then that other 2500 goes on a tax-free basis over to that, that IRA. Now, $5,000 has come out of that account. You've satisfied that RMD. It's just a more efficient manner, more efficient way of getting assets over to, you know, ultimately what your overall goals are.
0: Yeah, now we, we have lots of clients that do multiple bequests to multiple different places. yep. And most of them aren't like really large. There's a lot of people who are like, I'm gonna give 3,000 to my church, I'm gonna give 3,000 to YPN, and I'm gonna give 3,000 to whatever, yep. whatever their the Humane Society, or whatever their heart desires. So yeah, and there's no minimum. We've had people do like 500 bucks even, Yep. right? But they feel good, and it's a good way, like you said, to really work on not gaming the tax code, but utilizing it to your best utilizing advantage. Utilizing
1: it to your best advantage, absolutely. Um, it's it's funny because I had a client that asked me one time. They said, "Man, boy, is that going to create a problem for you guys?" I mean, and I just looked at him and said, "No, it's going to create a problem for Chase. He's the one that has to do the paperwork." Well, it's one so form. why would you not why so, would you not do it? So
0: here's the thing yeah. that I've found over time is that it's the same families that we help yeah. that are making them, and typically it's the same charities, and a lot yeah. of times it's the same amount. So once it's on file, it's actually relatively easy yep. to do. There there's always something I do tell people if they do this though. They may not be aware. They should at least inform the charity they're giving the money to, that they're sending it to them, Mm. and how much. Because guess what shows up at most charities? A check for benefit of of charity XYZ, and they don't necessarily know who it's from. Yep. So if you're going to do this, hey, make sure you let them know that the money's going to come in. A lot of the charitable organizations... They like to know what's coming yep. because number one, if they're doing any type of a recognition program, they have the opportunity to recognize you and say, Hey, this gift was made to you or made by you to our organization. we recognize you. So I just think you should let them know if that's coming. I I've heard stories of large gifts being left, very large gifts that they have no idea. It, where it no came idea. From. Well, yeah. no, they, they know in the end where it came from, right. but but it I mean, doesn't
1: say on the check is what you're saying. Well,
0: no that, but I'm kind of switching gears here. Individuals who have left five, ten, fifteen million dollars to organizations, but the organizations didn't know in advance. Mm. And they don't they didn't really care because they didn't want to like count on the money. But the comment that I've heard was if we would have known, we would have liked to have recognized them while they were alive
2: mm.
0: versus when they're dead. But some people, guess what? They don't want they you. Don't to want know. that. Yeah. They don't want you to know. So I think that's probably the most common gifting other than just like straight up cash to people mm-hmm. that we get asked a lot about this year. There's another section of gifts that can be highly meaningful for both the organization and the gifter. Um, and that's a gift of securities. Maybe walk us through what that means, Casey and in. Who it benefits and how it benefits both sides by giving the gift of a security.
1: Yeah, the the gifts of securities is a um, is another really good way. Um, so you know, keep in mind. Let's say, for example, you have an account and you're maybe you don't have a lot of cash on hand, but you've got an investment account or something like that. So what your plan is is I'm going to go sell a position in order to go send this over to a charity. So you're going to be taking a gift and you're going to be pulling it from some sort of an investment account. Well, one thing that you can do rather than selling out of that position is just give a gift of the security itself. Okay. So let's say, for example, if I've got a security and we're going to get over to the tax thing, because all these have to get, they go back over to the tax, uh, you know, tax benefits, right? If I paid a hundred dollars for that security and it has appreciated, it's doubled in value and now it's worth 200. If I sell that, I pay gain on that difference, right? I've got a hundred dollar capital gain on that. Now whether it's short or long depends on my holding period, but I've got a hundred dollars a gain that I will have taxes due. One thing that you can do though is rather than sell that position, realize that gain and then pay taxes on that on it, give that security directly. Now the really cool thing on this is whenever you give a gift and this doesn't matter if it's to a charity or if it's to a uh, to a a uh, individual or anything on that that basis actually transfers you don't realize that uh, you don't realize that that actual transaction or you don't realize that gain it just transfers directly over to the other person or over to the other entity and then they okay. can sell it and then they can, they can sell keep
0: it. it or sell it or do what they want now to do
1: charities actually there's a really interesting thing on that side though they've got a little bit of a special um, a little bit of special piece for that, right? Because a charity doesn't particularly care what the basis is on that security when they sell it as tax-free anyway, right? That's one of the beauties of that mm-hmm. of that arrangement. But if, when I go and I sell, when I go and I give that to them, I get to deduct the fair market value, not the basis, the fair market value of that security. So even though I paid one hundred and it grew to two hundred. I give that security, now I'm getting my deduction at that $200 level rather than at that $100 level on that security. Now there's some limits as far as your adjusted gross income on the max that you can give uh, or at least take a deduction at 60% of adjusted gross income. So So, I'm going to throw it out here. Let's say you bought a stock,
0: XYZ stock, for mm -hmm. $1,000 in 1980. Mm -hmm. And today it's worth $500,000 because there are stocks that have done that. How much... Can I gift the whole stock? Yeah. And get the deduction? You can absolutely gift the whole stock.
1: Are there any like limitations like so not on the gift, right? Okay. So you can give the full stock and you get uh, you know, you you maintain that basis, so you don't realize any of that gain, right? So you, you gift it over with that basis. However, there is a limitation on the amount that you can deduct. So the deduction 60% of your adjusted gross income. So let's say, for example, you bought that stock at a thousand and grew to, to five hundred thousand and you have a gross adjusted gross income of $100,000, well, you still get a $60,000 tax deduction. Now, the other approximately $440,000 of, uh, you know, of, uh, of that deduction from the fair market value, that goes away. Uh, there is no carry forward or anything on that side. Um, you do get to just give that stock, but you do get that pretty massive deduction based on whatever your adjusted gross income is.
0: Okay, so that that clears it up because I was and that's you know, there's one company I can think of that hit a home run like that. Most companies, Mm -hmm. that's not the case, but there are the situations where people still own that and and want to gift that. And, you know, whenever we talk about the gifts of securities, I think it leads into several other types of. Of security gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, like one we hear about a lot is a charitable remainder trust. How does a charitable remainder trust work? How does it benefit the person giving the gift? And how does it benefit? the actual entity that you're gifting to, because a lot of people don't realize you can do this. Like these are a little more advanced, but there's a lot of people that
1: have no idea you yeah. can do this. So you know when, when you start looking at something like a like a charitable bequest, right? Or or some sort of a charitable trust or setting something over on that side. Now there's really two that I'm going to talk about really, really quickly. There's the one that you mentioned, which is which is a charitable remainder trust. And then there's one that is basically the opposite of it, which is called a charitable lead trust. Okay. And really, what that is, is it just depends on when do you want to benefit the charity. Okay, so a charitable remainder trust, I make a gift into some sort of a trust arrangement. Okay, I can create income, and I can pull income off of that thing, and then when I pass away, whatever is remaining, that goes on to whatever that charitable, uh, whatever that charity charitable entity is. So let's, let me ask a question
0: here. I, I have two hundred thousand dollars of ABC stock. Mm-hmm. That pays a dividend of twenty thousand a year. I'm just making it up, mm-hmm. right? I gift it. I get to keep the dividend. Is that uh, how it works? So, so you yes, said and I get the income. How does that? So work? So
1: yes and no. So it depends on the way that you set up. You set the income up. So now whether it's a charitable annuity trust or whether it's a unit trust. Um, essentially the IRS has certain tables that based off your age and some other factors over on that side, you can set up and say, I'm going to pull 5% off of this thing for a 20 year period of time, or I'm going to pull X percentage off for this period of time.
0: I think people miss that. And that's why I asked that question. A Mm -hmm. lot of people think, well, if it only, if it's an S and P 500, it only pays 1.8%. Yeah. Like how much can I get? So I think that's a key detail. You get to name. Yep
1: in the structure of this, how much income you're going to pull yeah, from it. Yeah, there's a little bit of flexibility over on that side. Now, go to the other side on that too, right? Now, because what so you're talking flip. about... So that's that benefits yeah, a charity that's, that's when you die. Yeah, that benefits a charity when you pass away, right? Or, or at whatever that end of time frame is. Usually it's when somebody passes away, right? So I move the thing out of my, uh, out of my, my taxable estate, but I'm still receiving some sort of an income coming off the thing. Now, the other one... And this is, you know, sometimes I've heard a you know, term something like a give it twice trust, right? Let's say that I've got a charity that I want to benefit them, but I don't necessarily want to give them just this big massive, or I don't want to disinherit some children or something like that. So with a charitable lead trust, one of the things that you can actually do is you can set up your charitable trust, make your donation or make that, that gift into that trust, pay the income out to that charity for a period of time, and then name some other beneficiary over at the end of that. So it is a way to still be able to help out that charity while at the same time, if there's a reason for it or, or something over on that side that you want to benefit somebody else as well, that you can actually put them as the beneficiaries or the ultimate beneficiaries on that trust, either within that period of time or you know upon some sort of an event.
0: On that lead trust where the family inherits the money at death, it the charity gets the income. Family mm-hmm. inherits the money. Stepped-up cost basis. Is that how that's treated?
1: So I mean, it's going to depend on the way the trust terms the itself is uh, written over inside of there. But I mean, essentially, essentially, you're transferring your basis over into that trust, and then whatever happens. So once you transfer there, tr-
0: the trust, it gets a new basis.
1: So you're transferring it over in there, and then whatever activity inside of that trust is going to determine that. Okay. And so, then later on. So let me you're throw out that out there. Basis.
0: Hmm? Once again, we bought. In 1980, a share of stock for a thousand dollars. It's worth five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. We transferred the one share to a to, the charitable lead lead to a trust to a lead yep. trust. Yep. The new basis of that
1: trust is five hundred. The new basis in that tr- well. <laughs> uh, now I know I'm going down a road. <laughs> no, here. no. So but one of the challenges over on that side, and this also goes back over to that charitable remainder trust too. Because what we're actually doing in that particular instance... Now, the charitable remainder trust is a little bit easier because essentially it's the taxes it come back matter. over other, It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. But on that other, that charitable lead trust, essentially what we're doing in that particular instance is we're basically bifurcating, we're bifurcating that gift, right? And we are saying... Part of the gift is owned by the charity, and part of the gift is owned by somebody else. But we don't know exactly which part that that is going to be. So it's going to depend a lot on what that underlying activity actually happens underneath that trust, whether or not we continue to pass out some of those uh, some of those capital gains distributions, or if we pass out any of those um, taxable events out to the charity via something like a K-1, and then whatever the ch- the basis remaining inside of there. Uh, inside that trust, that would actually get transferred over to whoever it is, the, the new beneficiaries, upon termination of that trust itself. Now, again, that's assuming that it does a distribution in kind. It doesn't sell anything inside of there, because now we're still dealing with something like a trust tax rate, which they go up much more quickly than what individual rates do. Yeah, So they
0: basically hit like the corporate tax rate at what level? Like it's 10, like $14,000, yeah, $15,000. I 10. mean,
1: you're talking like thirty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like yeah, and you're that's already fast. at a 30 yeah you're already at a 30, 30 uh, you know upper 30s percent on your on your uh, you know income tax I think you'd tell most people you want to try to avoid
0: taxes within the trust if you
1: can Yeah if you can pass it out via K1 that's ideal um and this even goes over to individuals too but to draft those trusts you need an attorney right I would highly recommend an attorney
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean are there companies there out there though that they say, you say hey I'm assuming that most of these foundations and 501Cs have some type of a relationship with someone that will do it in a fairly economic manner for them?
1: Yeah. You know, most of the foundations and all that, they have, um, you know, a handful of attorneys that they work with that they will not recommend so to speak, but they will have a list of people that, hey, by the way, this is somebody that you're gonna go talk to or you wanna go make sure you get this thing set up right. Um, you know, when we start looking at some of these more advanced strategies, because they become very highly particularized with the actual individuals themselves, I would be very, very hesitant to be looking at, um, you know, like a legal zoom or, or any of these, you know, document provision services and all that, that kind that. of thing. Um, yeah. If, if someone listening needs
0: help with this contact our office you can go to btwellshow.com you can call us at our 800 number uh, which is a btwellshow.com because we can get you in touch with the right person or us to help kind of guide where this needs to go if this is something that you're interested in if you've got if you want to give stocks or securities there's ways to do it let's just make sure we do it in concert with your values yep. in concert with the foundation's values and make sure we. Do it correctly and legally.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a really interesting thing that that you say there. And I think that's really important is, you know, usually when we're having a conversation around this stuff, there's a purpose, right? There's actually a point to it. And what I mean by that is somebody somewhere along the way has been relatively successful or they're looking for some way to uh, give back into a community or into uh, some sort of a situation, but what they're trying to do is also do it in a way that doesn't just actually slack them when it comes over to the, uh, over to the tax side. You know, now, that's not the end- all be-all, right? At the end of the day, we want to do it in the wisest way that we possibly can. We want to maximize that overall gift that uh, to the, you know, either to the entities or if we've got some other sort of remainder individual or something like that. We do want to make sure that we can maximize those gifts. But it also does need to be, as you mentioned, in accordance with what it is that you're actually trying to create right and that's where all these things you know and again i don't think any of them are necessarily a uh, there's not one individual strategy that's going to work for for everyone it might be a combination of these things that actually ends up being implemented you know these things that we're talking about right now a little bit more complex a little bit more complicated not everybody's going to need to go down that route but when they work they work really really well yeah and I think the thing
0: to realize is if this is something you're interested in, don't let it paralyze you from doing it. Just go find the people that can help you execute it because people out there, there are people out there that do this and they do a lot of it. and They know how to get it done correctly. So Casey, I'm looking at my list and so far I've hit IRA rollover gift, gift to securities, charitable bequest and the life income gift. We've hit those. The last one on my list until we get to the grand finale, here is a life insurance gift. Tell me how people can give life insurance or life insurance cash values to foundations and how it benefits them.
1: Yeah, so you know, life insurance gifts are relatively, um, you know, relatively easy to do. Um, and there's a couple of ways that this can be done. So you can either, as you just said, you can give the cash value itself. Now, essentially, all that means is I'm going to turn over the ownership of this policy over to the foundation or over to the charity, right? So I signed some forms over on that side. I'm no longer the owner. Now, whoever I signed it over to in this particular instance, that charity, the charity now becomes the owner. Now they get to do with it, whatever they want usually they're going to cash it out, right? Because they're looking for that cash value or they're trying to take that, uh, take those funds and maybe turn that into something a little bit more immediate. Now, another way, let's say that it's, you know, for example, I've got all the other legacy pieces put together and I have this old policy. Maybe it's a paid-up life insurance policy, so there's no premiums due or anything on that. Well, I could simply leave the charity as the beneficiary on that policy itself, okay? And then when I pass away, whatever that death benefit on that policy is, that goes directly over to the charity. Now they don't pay any income tax on it because they're a charity, Um, you know, nor do does anybody pay any income tax on, on those. Um, But that is a way for us to, uh, you know, maybe take an old policy that maybe it's not necessary, or maybe it's not needed for the overall financial plan. uh, And we can get it over there and actually, actually benefit, you know, maybe somebody else with something that's already put over in place. Now, one thing, a little bit more complicated on that side. Let's say, for example, if I'm trying to remove or I want to get that out of my estate, right? I don't want the life insurance proceeds. Maybe I've got like a $10 million life insurance policy, and I don't want those proceeds to be included in my estate when I pass away. Because
0: if they are,
1: if it is, they become federal estate now we've tax. Now we got federal estate tax there you that go. we got to deal with. And
0: here's what I'm going to tell people listening, especially if you're not living in the world of estate taxes. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of life insurance agents out there are going to tell you this is tax free. Yep, and it is federally income tax free. Yep, it's not necessarily estate tax free. I think people need to be highly aware of that.
1: Yeah, it just depends on whether or not it's it's going to be included inside that uh, inside that gross estate. Now there are some ways that we can take that life insurance policy and get it out of our gross estate. And one way of doing that, surprise, surprise, we're coming back to trusts. <laughs> We can set up an irrevocable life insurance trust, transfer the ownership of that policy into the trust. Well, now the trust is the owner. I no longer own it anymore, so it doesn't become part of my estate as long as I survive for another three years. I have a question. Mm-hmm.
0: So when you gift that, if the value of that policy is a million dollars, like the, the cash value, yep. or the money you're putting in is a million dollars, the total cost you have in this thing. That gets taken off of your lifetime exclusion when you gift it, correct? Yes, correct. If, is there a way to gift it directly to the charity and avoid that coming off of your lifetime gift?
1: Uh, I mean, you could do. Uh, you could just assign them ownership of the policy. Um, again, that's going to depend on whether or not they're going to want to continue paying those premiums.
0: But arguably, if you have a large estate, it may be more worthwhile to do that. Just give them the ownership, especially if it's paid up. I'm just saying you have a paid yeah, up. Yeah, like one. a paid up policy. Yeah, you got a paid up policy, if, like man. If there's
1: no premiums due or anything on that, I, I, you know, if there's premiums payments that are due, I mean, realistically, they're not gonna they're, they're not going to. Well, they're either not going to be able to afford it, or they're just going to cash it out because they look at it, and say, you know what, we don't know when we're going to receive that death benefit, and if we're paying ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars a year in premiums, they're not going to do that in order to have what you know whatever that death benefit. But an individual
0: is. could set up and make that gift every year for. 20,000 sure, to pay that sure. too. I'm just yep. figuring, I'm, I'm thinking, how do I get it completely out of my estate, the most tax benefit for me as an individual or family mm-hmm. and the most bang for the buck for the organization I'm giving this thing to? Yep. I guess in essence, how do I keep Uncle Sam out of the most? Yeah.
1: I I mean, and, and again, I, I think that that depends a little bit upon the individual set of circumstances as well. Um, You know, you did actually mention something that I do think is a good idea on that. You know, maybe instead of paying the policy premiums, or maybe I'm not going to pay the policy premiums. Maybe I just make a gift to that charity. And I say, Hey, by the way, I'm going to give you this policy. It costs 10 grand a year and I'm going to pledge you $10,000 a year, as long as I'm around right now. Now that keeps underneath, um, you know, everything from a tracking standpoint and all that, 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 um, you well, know it like that, falls that could be very very beneficial. It's just seventeen
0: thousand per person per beneficiary. Well, not
1: to a charity. I mean, there's no oh, yeah, nothing over fall. on that side. It yeah. Doesn't even matter. I guess so. You're right. um, but there's a uh, but yeah. I think there's there's a there's a lot of ways that this thing actually could get set up depending on what we're trying to accomplish. And and it's a cool way because a lot of people that hit um, a mass affluency they get to a well, point where they're just consider like, consider this right and maybe this is where we start to combine some of these things well, maybe I've got that policy that I'm paying ten grand on, and then I've got about $10,000 a year in RMDs. Now, all of a sudden, I can do that gift over on that side. And oh, by the way, I can do a qualified charitable distribution, $10,000 a year, and keep that off my tax bill as well. And now we're starting to see where some of these strategies can really come together. I mean, you talk about making an impact on that that family situation and making a huge impact for that charity. Right. That's the way that's that's some that's some interesting things there. I mean, and this
0: this is why people come work with us is to try to get creative strategies to accomplish their goals. And it's not just for charitable giving. It's the same kind of stuff we do mm-hmm. when we're trying to create income for people. And I'm gonna leave I'm gonna let kind of Casey close this show out with the last charitable thing we'll call it that I get sure. asked about a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's called a donor advised fund. Why don't you tell everybody what a donor advised fund is, how it works?
1: Yeah, so. Because
0: a lot of people have heard of donor advised fund, and I think when you hear that, they're like, you have to have so much money to do this. Yep. And that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, right?
1: I, I mean, the easiest way I think to describe a donor advised fund is. It's a simple foundation or like a simple family foundation, except we're not going through the process of setting up our own individual foundation. So essentially what a donor advised fund is, is we can set up an account or set up some sort of a charitable gifting strategy that can send money from that account over to all of these charities. I can make my donation over to that, that donor advised funds, get a tax deduction over on it, but then I can still suggest, very strongly suggest, where those donations are actually going to go to. So take, for example, we set up an account over at Investment Company and we put $25,000 into it. And then I say to that company, I want $5,000 to go to Charity A and I want $5,000 to go to Charity B. Now, legally speaking, Investment Company does not have to send that money over to, you know, Charity A and Charity B. They could go send it to Charity C if if they want to. Now, that being said, if they did that, do you think that individual is ever going to give that company any more money? No. No, absolutely not. So it is a way for us to make a contribution over to what amounts to effectively some sort of a foundation arrangement without having to go through all the legal stuff from a setup standpoint um, and be able to make those or direct those gifts to an extent, or significantly influence where they're, where they're ultimately going to end up uh, end up going to. Um, now, the interesting thing over on this is that is not, you know, we were talking about qualified charitable distributions or QCDs. Those are age-banded, right? We got to be 70 and a half in order to actually make those. With the donor advised fund, there is no limit on that. You know, So I don't have an age limit with the donor advised fund as far as actually setting those up. All we really need is we need to know, do you have a charity that you want to benefit? Um, and do you are you intending on making some sort of a lump sum contribution? And maybe you don't even necessarily know where you want it to go to. You just know that you want to put some money over into the place. And maybe we can also use it as a way to uh, be a little bit more effective from a tax code perspective. Now, let's take an example over on that side. Let's say, for example, I make $200,000 a year, and I don't know where it's going to go. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's to, you know, a, a you know, animal shelter or something like that that's a qualified as a, as a 501c3. But I know that I'm going to give away $20,000 a year, right? Well, if we know that our standard deduction, our standard deduction right now is $25,000, I could do $20,000 each year. I don't get any benefit for that, right? I, I take the standard deduction. Nothing actually goes over from an itemized standpoint. What the donor advised fund can allow us to do is we can do something called bunching. Well, maybe instead of doing $20,000 in year one, I take my standard deduction of 25, and then in year two, I do $40,000 over into that donor advised fund. And then I can still set up, you know, maybe it's a monthly, maybe it's an annual distribution or something like that to benefit these overall charities. But what I've done is I've taken that amount that would not qualify me. I'd still be underneath that standard deduction. And now I might be able to actually itemize and be a little bit more tax advantaged because I've taken two tax years of charitable donations, stuck it over into one, and then the next year, guess what? I'm just back underneath my standard deduction again.
0: That's been, you know, ever since the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, that's been a much more popular way to give larger gifts because it's more impactful to the donor. In that situation, which we might see that all change come 2026 when this tax code expires. Right. Which is another great reason why having a good financial advisor in a firm that kind of has a a beat on what's going on with this. And it's great to have Casey in our office because he knows what's going on and and we're fortunate. There's not a lot of um, financial firms out there that have an on-staff person in the legal world per se. I mean, there's some, there's not that many. We have them yep, right down the a handful. Anybody's looking for help. Go to btwellshow.com. Feel free to follow us on social Facebook, LinkedIn X. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button.
2: Securities and advisory services offered through LPL financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks including possible loss of principal. Dollar cost averaging involves continuous investment in securities. Regardless of fluctuation in price levels of such securities, an investor should consider their ability to continue purchasing through fluctuating price levels. Such a plan does not assure profit and does not protect against loss.